So if you will turn with me to um, Mark chapter 2, we'll go ahead and kind of pick up where we left off last week. So last week we began kind of... uh, So there's two major parts to what we're looking at. We're looking at the person of Christ specifically. We're looking at what it meant for Christ to be fully man. And then now we're looking at what it means for Him to be fully God. Um, As as part of that particular study, we've looked already at claims that Scripture makes to Him being God. And last week we began kind of digging into other evidence uh, that we find in Scripture that points to Him being God because there's nothing else that could explain um, what we find um, apart from Him Him being God. So last week we looked at a couple of places in the text where we find out how just how much power He has, right? Like if He speaks, um, He can calm He can calm storms. Um, we find out the type of knowledge he has. Um, he knows man intimately and deeply. He knows every one of us. Um, we look at his presence, something that he says about himself that could only be true um, if he were everywhere at all times. Specifically, he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So if I'm here and there are believers in China and we're gathering together and Christ is in the midst, then then what does that mean? Like, he's got to be in two places at once. We can't do that, right? Like, we can't be in two places at one time. So the only way that something like that could um, be true is if he were if he were God and in all places at all times. So uh, today we're going to look at a couple of more. We're going to look at um, places in Scripture. In Mark specifically, we're going to look at um, the authority that Christ has. He has an authority that can only be attributed uh, to God, the authority to forgive sin specifically here. We're going to look look and see that he has the power over life and death. Um, we're going to look at a couple of places, one where he's accepting of worship and another where we find that he's absolutely worthy of the worship that's given to him. So the fact that he accepted worship, um, that would have been heresy if he was not God, right? Like who alone is worthy of worship? God alone is worthy of worship, right? Um, so he accepts worship from um, his followers, and then we're going to look and see um, just how worthy he is of that worship. And that hopefully we'll be able to wrap all that up today. Uh, so here in Mark, we've got we're going to read Mark chapter two verses one through twelve. We're going to kind of read this entire account here. Um, specifically, I want I want you to pay attention to where he starts forgiving sins, the reaction that people have from that, and then his response to their reaction here. So uh, Mark chapter two, starting in verse one. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came to bring him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now this is this is this is interesting, right? Like when people would bring someone to Jesus who was sick, what were they coming for? 
Like they wanted to be healed, right? So when they're bringing this man to Jesus, were, were they specifically bringing this man so that his sins could be forgiven? They were bringing him, why? Because he was a paralytic, right? Like the scripture doesn't start off with they saw how sin sick he was and they were going to, you know, like bring their friend and let him down. Like they wanted him to be healed and Jesus does heal him, right? Jesus starts in a very weird way here by forgiving him of his sins and then healing as evidence that he has the authority to forgive sins, right? So like he heals because he's like, just so you know, right? Like that's kind of his mic drop moment in this. I can forgive sins and the, the fact that I can heal him is evidence that I have the authority to forgive sins, right? So like the healing was supporting evidence that he had the authority when he spoke to say your sins are forgiven, that they were in fact forgiven. So um, that's what we see here. Verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So again, like Jesus probably reads their faces, sees their expressions, like he sees what's going on here, and he's like, oh, I see I offended some of you with what I just said there. Why would it be offensive? Why would the scribes of all people be offended by what Jesus has just done? Like what is offensive in what Jesus just did here? And why would the, scri- why would the scribes in particular, right? Like who would who would know the word better than the scribes, right? So the, so so we find here that some of the scribes who were sitting there started questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? And what do they say about what he says? He is blaspheming. Why? Because he's claiming to be God. For who can forgive sin but God alone? And so, were he not God? It would have been blasphemy, right? Right? Like if he is not who he says he is, if he is not who we claim him to be, he does not have the authority to claim that someone's sins are forgiven. Because only God can forgive sin, right? Only God. This is what they this is what they say here. So in their hearts they they see what he's doing here. He's like, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within himself, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Right? So like as he starts questioning their their reaction to this, what is he revealing about who he is? Does Jesus not know that God alone can forgive sin? Is He unaware of what they know to be true? Because what they're claiming is true. Only God can forgive sin. Fact. Right? But what they don't make, they don't make the connection that the one who's here saying it is not blaspheming, but the, because the one who is saying it is in fact God and therefore does have the authority to forgive sin. Right? So why do you question these things in your heart? Verse 9. Which is easier? So he's asking here. So like, if I'm God, right? If I'm God, which is easier? For me to say, your sins are forgiven? Or for me to say, stand up and walk? Which is easier? They're both easy. Right? If I'm God, they're both easy. And he's asking them. He's asking them. Because they could do neither. Right? So for them, it was impossible they're not going to say to the man, stand up and walk, and him get up and walk. 
He's a paralytic. Right? And they can't say to him, your sins are forgiven. Just like there's no man today that can say to a person, your sins are forgiven, apart from Christ and the work of Christ. Right? It is in Christ alone, because He alone has the authority to forgive sins, because He is God. So he asks them, verse 9, which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. So why does he say this? Like, What is the reason that he tells them to get up and walk? So that they know who he is. Right? So that they know who He is. So I want us, I want us to, and, and when we think about like healing, when we think about all that Christ did in His work on earth, I want to kind of play this, play into this a little bit. Like, Christ could have spoke the Word and everyone on the planet be healed. True? True? He could have. He did not. Why did He heal while He was here? What was the primary purpose of his healing while he was here? To show who he was, right? To make clear that it is he and he alone who has the authority to forgive sins and to make the paralytic walk, right? It is he who does this. Who has authority to heal? Jesus has authority to heal. Who has authority? To forgive sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Some would argue that, that the reason he did it was to show the character of God's heart mm-hmm. for the sick. Yes. And I believe that that's true too. Yes. It's true. He, he, loves, he loves the sick. But here's the thing. He, his primary pur- purpose is not so that the sick die. Right. Right? His primary purpose is not to heal the sick so that they, they then go and die. Right. right? Because everyone who is sick and healed dies. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Jesus' primary purpose on earth was not so that you could get a couple of more days. Right? And this is hard. When we're sick and hurting, this is hard for us. Right? When we're in pain and death is knocking at the front door, it's hard for us to hear that Jesus' primary purpose is not to give you another ten years. But it's not. It's to give you eternity. Yes. 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 So here, when we see healing, it should cause us to reflect on who it is that's done the healing. Right? We should worship Him knowing that that healing is just a a shadow of the ultimate healing that gives us life and life eternal, right? So Jesus, Jesus oftentimes would say, like, oh, your faith has healed you, like, like many times. But what we see in this particular passage is that He came with authority to heal your sin sickness, right? Sin leads to death. He's come to give life eternal, right? Life eternal. And here they're like, they're hearing him say this. Like, they're not like, here's the, here's the thing. Like, when, sometimes they did get offended by Jesus healing people because maybe he healed them on the wrong day of the week, according to them or whatnot. But in general, no one has an issue with somebody being healed, right? No one, no one says after Jesus heals, 
what authority by, by which he heals, right? Like, no one's questioning him for blasphemy when he says get up, if he just says get up and walk, right? They may be like, why are you healing on the Sabbath or some, you know, like, thing like that, right? But in general, they don't have a problem with them healing, right? Especially if it's them getting healed or their loved ones getting healed. <laughs> yeah, nobody's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> healing people, doing good for people. But as soon as he says, your sins are forgiven, everyone who knows the one who forgives sins is offended because they don't believe that he is who he's claiming to be here, right? So as response to this, and here's the thing, right? Like who is it by which power by whose power is he is he healing? Like if he's being blasphemous here, right? If he's claiming authority to be God, and then he turns around and heals, where does that power come from? Right? And they go through these same questions along the way as well. They're like, he heals by the power of Satan. And then he kind of confronts that as well, right? But here, when he says this, they've got issue. And so he says, I say to you, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So I wonder... As I read this particular verse here, and he rose immediately, picked up his bed. Like when Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven, like at what point did that take effect? Right? If he can speak to the paralytic and it immediately, and him immediately be healed and get up and walk, when he speaks that his sins are forgiven, are they immediately forgiven? Like, Instantly, why? Because he has the authority, and this is a this is an like I want us to get that the text here shows us if he is not who he says he is, if he's not who he claims to be, who we claim him to be, then he was a blasphemer, as they claim, right? And he was placed on a cross as a blasphemer, but the resurrection, in the resurrection, we see that. Uh, He's vindicated for all the things that he said for which he was placed on the cross for, right? The claim to be the king of the Jews. The claim to be God in the flesh. The claim to be the great I am. And for that, he's placed on the cross and killed. And in spite of that, he rises from the dead. So he has authority to forgive sin. No one but God has authority to forgive sin. Flip with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 17 and 18. John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. And how does he finish that? That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
this charge I have received from my father. So, so I want to. So this is this is pre this is pre crucifixion, right? Um, so Jesus is here letting them already know um, ahead of time what's going to take place. So in the resurrection, by whose authority? Who has the power over life and death here? So who's Jesus? Who's Jesus saying has this authority here? He does. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay it down. Right? That I may take it up again. So so when Jesus is is raised, who's who's raising him? Right? Now we get a <laughs> Right. <laughs> so who has who has who has authority over life and death? Who has power over life and death? Who does? Practically. Now let's let's exclude Jesus here. But let's talking about in their mind who has power over life and death. Only God, right? Only God has power over life and death, right? When Jesus is raising Lazarus from the grave, oh, like they know, they anticipate a resurrection for which God will raise the dead, right? And Jesus says, I am the resurrection, right? They're again claiming authority over death, right? He is the resurrection. When he dies, he himself dies, right? Who takes their life from the dead to life again? God alone, right? And Christ is here claiming when he says this that he is himself God. And who, when, like, it's one thing if I say that when I die I'm going to take my life up again and none of y'all are going to believe me when I say that rightly so, right? Because I'm not God and if I die I'm dead until He chooses to raise me up again, right? But He claims of Himself that He lays His life down. No one takes it from Him. He, He says that, He says it two times essentially. For this is the reason my Father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, right? So when he, when they see him after the resurrection, who raised him from the dead? God raised him from the dead. Who raised him from the dead? He raised himself from the dead, right? (laughs) Only God can't, like this is an impossibility, right? Like, if he is only man, then he dies and stays dead. Right? He's claiming something else here. He's claiming to have power and authority over his own death. Right? And he does because he's resurrected from the grave. As he claims will happen, as he tells them multiple times along the way, that you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. Right? Like, he makes these claims along the way, and he does, right? Um, now, of course, they don't get it, um, like, because it's impossible, it's an impossible thing to believe, right? It's only happened once. It's only happened once. It's hard to believe when he shows up for Lazarus and says, come forth, that he comes forth. That's hard to believe, right? But maybe there's something supernatural going on there. No one says to Jesus, get up, right? No, like Jesus, like Jesus is there, 
And they say, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have lived, or he wouldn't have died, right? Like, they know he's got power, but they don't know to what extent that power... Like, certainly it would run out at some point, right? But he, he he's on the resurrection. He brings him back from the dead. He comes forth. Jesus is the one who brings himself forth from the dead, right? Like, I could, I could imagine as he's standing there, the, the emotions that he feels in that moment, where they're like, we know if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died, like, we know that much. I can imagine the emotions that might would bring him to tears when he says, you, you're not asking, like, you don't see what I'm about to do. So how, how bad will it be when it's me there? Right? Like, how, how much will you feel lost in that moment when the one who speaks in the dead raise is the one who's in the grave? Right? And you're not getting that I've already said that I have authority to lay my life down. Right? You're not getting that I've been telling you this. And yet, he says it, and what happens? He takes his life up. Right? Their, their view of the Trinity was completely skewed. Probably at this point, probably at this point, I imagine that there was not a well-fleshed out understanding. Like, un- yeah. Until you believe that Jesus is God incarnate. Yeah. And they didn't. So then they couldn't believe that he would raise himself, but he raised it only because he had the same power yes. of God that he was yes. God. Yes. Just like Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you know, believe in your heart that God raised him from yes. death. Yes, yes. So there, the whole issue was that was in their belief in his authority. Who is he? Right? He yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and that's why I say like they, they, I imagine they had they had like the, the the Trinitarian view of God was something that um, there were there were glimpses in the Old Testament, but those glimpses only make sense in light of what we learn through the the life, death, resurrection of Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you could make no like like someone prior to it, and I would imagine probably the Jews even today probably struggle with some of the places that we would look back in the old and be like, oh, doesn't it make so much sense there? They're like, no, <laughs> right? Like it doesn't, right? Like there's several places like some of the plural like usages, right? Like let us go, like that is just like that's confuse, like that's confusing, and we we kind of from a New Testament point of view look back and see it right but you could you could imagine if you don't believe any of that to be true that it's it, it you get no extra clarity from it right so the jews of of jesus's day were in that same kind of boat right like it's like they're not seeing him as god which is why every time that he makes these claims like this blasphemy blasphemy like he opens their minds to understand the scriptures Yes. 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 Absolutely. Apart from him, if he's not God, then he's not a good teacher. He's not right. He's not. Like he's not. Like like he's a he, like he's a liar, a charlatan, or he's out of his mind. Right. Yes. Or he's God. Like that's the those are the those are the the options there, and it all all of its piv all of it pivots on whether or not he actually got up from the dead. Right? Like, if he stayed dead in the grave, then he was crazy, blasphemer, foolishly thought he was God. If he got up from the dead, right, then the things that he said about himself prior to it 
have all the more weight to them then, right? So the resurrection, like, like this is what this is why, like, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, like Paul puts so much weight on the resurrection having begun in Christ, right? Because the Christian faith as a whole rises and falls on whether or not that grave, that tomb was empty, and and he was alive, right? Can I ask a question? Yeah. Sorry. No, go for it. The first, did you you didn't have a verse for the first Corinthians fifteen? No, so verse that would just be like one through three ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So First Corinthians like one through probably like actually the whole thing like all of First Corinthians chapter fifteen is is kind of resurrection stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that would be like um, that would be yeah that entire entire chapter there. So now I want to. So we've talked about authority this morning. We talked about his power over life here. Go um, to Matthew chapter twenty eight verse nine. We're going to see here um, <clears throat> Jesus accepting worship. And if if God alone is worthy of worship, then um, his accepting it would be, would be blasphemous. But hey, man, when you come back from the dead, you can kind of do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we we find we find resurrected Jesus here, um, verse nine. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Right. So Jesus Jesus post resurrection, he doesn't change what he's been saying here. He's like like every other being who's ever given worship ought to be like no 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 no. I'm not God's worthy of worship. Right. They worship him, and he's like, "Yep, let's do this." Um, so this is uh, this is Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse nine in particular, where they give him worship. Verse ten, where he does not reject that worship. Um, verse ten, Jesus said to them, "Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers uh, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me." Um, so here, Jesus is given worship. Jesus does not. Um, you know, like turn down that worship uh, in any way. He's accepting of that worship, um, and we'll find we find pretty much anywhere that you look through um, scripture where someone gives worship um, or praise that would be equivalent to worship to Christ. Christ accepts it every time he, because he's he's worthy of worship. We see that. Let's flip now, um, and we're rounding home now, so we're going to get done a little early. I told y'all. Y'all didn't believe me. (laughs) Uh, Flip with me to Revelation chapter 5. I love this passage of text. So Revelation chapter 5. Let's start reading. In verse 9. We'll read through 14. So we'll read way from 9 through the end of that chapter there. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. And I would ask you the question, like who's this talking about? I think it becomes super clear as you read through it. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have been ma- and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elder and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in it and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Christ alone is worthy of worship. Right? And we see we see this we see this picture here in Revelation um, of the tribe, every tribe, nation, tongue gathered together, everyone on the earth, under the earth, like anywhere you can find somebody, right? Uh, we find all the hosts of heaven um, worshiping the one who sits on the throne, the Lamb who was slain. Um, he is worthy of receiving honor and glory. And here's the here's the thing: like if we were, and we're 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 not, um, but if we were to be wrong about who Christ is, we deserve to be punished for the worship that we send His way. Because God alone is worthy of worship. Right? God alone is worthy of worship. And Christ is worthy of worship. Because He... The picture here, though, we just, I, I cannot conceive it yet. Yeah. On that, because when we get in a room full of men, men that are heartful worshiping God, the power of that word when them coming praising him back and you look at the picture that, that, he's, yeah. that he's writing here of hundreds of thousands yeah 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 that would be due only to God being given to the Lamb who was slain to redeem a people, right? Like if you were a disciple and you were at the state worshiping, like think of this, like the whole of the whole of everything Jesus had been telling you, but it's like have you ever had that moment where every piece of the puzzle comes together? And there is just all. Right. And like just thinking of every story, everything they've read in the Old Testament, it just came together for them. Yeah. Yeah. And the the fact that they were they actually saw with their eyes the culmination of God's plan. Like being there, what a yeah. being there to see was God's plan all yeah. along. And he resurrected. Here he sits in our yeah. midst. And then one day we're going to get to be... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this this picture, right, right? Like one of the things that I love so much about this is that it's like when he sees this, right? This is a this is for him a moment in the future. For us, a moment in the future. When he sees this, we are here. Yeah. Right? Like this is inclusive of us. Yes. Like like of those people who were redeemed that he sees here. This is us, right? Like you are here, believer. 
That's a like that's a crazy, crazy thought. That when he sees this, this is a moment that we will take part in, right? Like I oftentimes don't go into the book of Revelation just because there's a ton of stuff there that's super confusing, that's super difficult to wrap your mind around. But this picture that he sees here, like when I'm drawn into this book, this is one of the places that I get drawn to, right? Because the picture of what takes place here is the success of his work on earth, right? Like when he says his his word will not go out void, right? Like this is the success of his work. Like this is the moment where all of those that he came and won worship him for what he's done, right? Like that's the picture that we get here, right? It's a it's a very 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 beautiful picture, um, and. Uh, it's super clear, right? Like there's no missing who it's speaking of here. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people from God for every tribe, nation, or every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Like there's a crazy, crazy, beautiful thing that we see there. Verse 12 there with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb here in verse uh, 13 the, the last part of it. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Go ahead and memorize those. <laughs> Go ahead and memorize your part here. You'll be doing it in English. Some people will be doing it in Spanish. Some people will be doing it in languages that are long dead to us, right? Like that's a that's a crazy thing. Every every nation, every tribe, every language. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. Right? I'm gonna try. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's worthy. He's worthy because he's God, right? He is God, and we claim that of him, and it's true of him. Um, otherwise, we would be blasphemers along with him. Um, so let's. Uh, I'll close this out in prayer, and then we'll dismiss.